This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along. Thiago Alcantara's injury extent revealed. VAR again. And Klopp goes blow for blow with Wilder in a heavyweight bout. No, not Deontay, but BT capturing the action. So who knows? Alongside me, Ian Doyle, Joe Rimmer and Matt Addison. We'll get straight into things. Doyle, I'll come to you and... With all of that to discuss, we've also some breaking news this afternoon with the uh, latest on the redevelopment of Anfield. Well, it's it, it's latest in the sense that it's it's what no, I can't actually seem to hear Doily there. We were looking forward to hearing that. Joe, I'll come to you on Anfield, and obviously Liverpool have had these plans in place for some while, but we've, uh, as Doily said, got some latest news on it. Sorry, yeah, uh, was it, was it, it wasn't just me losing Doily then. Everyone lost Doily. Okay, yeah. So, um, yeah, as Doily was saying, these are these are plans that I think Liverpool had to put on hold back in April. Um, they're submitting planning permission this week, and it's just another sign of I think of FSG's commitment to leaving the club um, eventually when they they do depart, because of course they they will depart at some point. Um, just leaving the club in such a healthy state, obviously the. Um, the main stand's gone up, the new training ground has been built and, and now they're going to um, redevelop the end of the ground, which in my opinion has it's been in dire need of development for a long time, which is the Anfield Road then. So um, exciting times. Um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a really, really positive announcement for Liverpool. And I think it's, a you know, watching games at the moment with no fans has been so, uh, so difficult, hasn't it? You know, I think we can't wait to get that stand built in Anfield with 61,000 people in it cheering on Liverpool. Uh, it'll be a sight for sore eyes, put it that way. Yeah, it is the sort of modernisation, isn't it, Matt, of Anfield? It does feel the Anfield road end has been sort of the, the forgotten stand in many ways and the one that has needed, as Joe's saying, sort of up, updating the most. And once it is complete, it'll be a magnificent development across the, the whole stadium. Yeah, exactly that. It's just the, the next big step forward, isn't it? We've seen FSG take a, a number of different steps. As Joe said, the, the training ground is now complete. It's sort of you know, the end of that journey and, and the start of the next one for Liverpool. So, yeah, it's a, a big step forward. I think it's you know going to be another couple of years before it, it gets finished or anything like that. But, you know, the, the sooner the better, really, for Liverpool fans. It, it's something that, you know, I'm sure has, has been spoken about plenty of times amongst, you know, Reds, particularly those who go to the matches regularly. It's important to get as many people in there as possible. And, you know, it, it would have been a decent time, actually, with no fans in the stadium at this moment in time to be able to to build it whilst the, the, the sort of no disruption. But of course, you know, that isn't isn't possible. They've put it on on hold. And, you know, the, the details coming out today that, that hopefully means that, you know, in a, a few months time, that will all get underway and will all go very smoothly. Yeah, that is exciting news. Doyley's back with us now. And Doyley, I'll, I'll come to you on this point. We're going to look back on the, the Brighton game briefly, talk VAR and all sorts. But of course, you were at the Amex on Saturday. What did you actually make of the performance from Liverpool? Looked as though they might have just snuck over the line with all three points. We had to settle for the draw in the end. Yeah, I think the performance was a bit like the internet connection in my house for some reason. It was uh, very, very... <laughs> Very strange and very, very bitty, very just cut out of various points for, for no apparent reason. But yeah, go back to the game. Uh, when you saw the uh, the team lineup, I don't think anybody was surprised with how it went in the first half. But second half, I thought Liverpool actually did quite well, especially when Jordan Henderson came on. James Milner went to right back. 
and obviously got injured. And then Curtis Jones went to right back and clearly showed why he's never played right back before. Slightly all over the place, but you know, it wasn't that wasn't his issue really, was it? If Liverpool were down to the bare bones. But yeah, I thought they kind of got away with it a little bit. And if they'd have won, it would have been an amazing result for them, to be honest. I think uh, you see Tottenham went there, didn't they, earlier this season? And uh, they got a one nil a last minute a last minute goal last minute winner, but this time Liverpool Liverpool missed out in the last minute. So overall, I think before the game you'd have taken a draw, but the way that it happened, especially with you know we can talk all day about the VAR decision for the penalty, but more so about the the VAR decision to to disallow Mohamed Salah's goal, which would have you know would have made that penalty slightly irrelevant at the end. It would have just been a consolation goal, but overall, I think Liverpool. They'd have taken that on the strength of the first half performance. They'd have taken that on the strength of what the team lineup was. But the, the manner that it came at the end, you can see why they were a bit disappointed with the only getting the draw. Yeah, definitely. Joe, I, I suppose we saw as well what Jurgen Klopp was sort of forewarning in his press conference and everything. The fact that Brighton perhaps aren't reflective of the, the league standing and points accumulated so far this season. Because in the first half in particular, they were very threatening. Definitely, yeah. I think they're a much better side than perhaps people realise. I think uh, I listened to the Analyzing Anfield podcast and they were talking about some of the, the underlying numbers are much better for them than than uh, perhaps you, you'd realise. And I thought they played very well. They frustrated Liverpool. Um, and it was it was a very tough one, as Doyle says. I think if Liverpool had come out with that, with a win, it would have been a, a massive, massive win. And, you know, the nature of conceding a last-minute goal means that you come away pretty disappointed. But I think going into the game, a draw is not a terrible result. And Liverpool now have got a favourable run of fixtures up coming up to the Tottenham game where they can, you know, try and get some points on the board. It's just quite difficult to do that when, you know, players are dropping like flies. And I think the fact that Liverpool are a bit like the walking wounded at the moment was reflected in the performance. It was disjointed at times. Um, I thought they did play well for most of the second half, but the first half, they just weren't on their game. And, I think we're seeing that in almost every game at the moment. So I hate to have a bit of a downer on it, but just not really enjoying football. I find that, you know, without the fans, with VAR and the way especially Liverpool are at the moment, with the amount of injuries at Liverpool and elsewhere, football just isn't the spectacle that it should be. So, yeah, I think Liverpool just need to get through these games now and, and try and limp on, quite literally, until um, until January. Yeah, and with a man like Diogo Jota in the team, Matt, they've always got a chance of getting a goal, as he proved with his ninth of the season at the weekend. Yeah, really well-worked goal as well. It would have been one that if Liverpool had won the game, I'm sure we'd be talking about that in a, a different sort of way. And it's a bit of a shame, really, that that will kind of get forgotten in the aftermath of, of VAR discussions and things about five substitutes and arguments between Klopp and, and various people. So yeah, it was a, a brilliantly worked goal. He's obviously come into the team and, and done fantastically well. And that was the latest example of that. It was you know brilliantly worked, a brilliant touch from Mohamed Salah into him and just to, to have that awareness even you know, inside the penalty area with a couple of players in and around him to be able to take that extra touch and, and then put it into the corner was, was brilliant from him. So, yeah, it was uh, another positive performance from him. It certainly wasn't his best performance in a Liverpool shirt, but even that being the case, the fact that he scored what could have easily been the winning goal, I think, just goes to show really how much of an impact he's made already in a Liverpool shirt just a few weeks in. Definitely. Let's get on to VAR then. Doyley, come to you. First up on this, Jordan Henderson, James Milner, Andy Robertson have all spoken about it in the last few days since the incident. I'll simply ask you, is there any point anymore with it? I think there's a point. 
I think there's a point. It's there for clear and obvious errors. Like, for example, Sadio Mane offside. It was clearly offside. Linesman missed it. It, that was, it took him one second to decide it was offside. Sound, that's exactly what it's there for. Sorted it out. I mean, you could even argue the penalty. The penalty. The reason the penalty is such a, a strange one. And there's been the, the comparison with the Mohamed Salah penalty against West Ham, but it's not quite the same because with the Salah one, the referee gave the penalty and the linesman both, well, the referee's assistant, they both gave the penalty. Then VAR looked at it. And because there was contact, there's no way that VAR, VAR was going to turn around and say, well, that's not a penalty because he did touch him. And the referee, where they've seen it, they've got okay, yeah, that, that that's a foul. This time, it was the referee hadn't spotted it, neither the linesman. And then VAR thought, well, there was a sufficient touch there for, to be deemed a foul. Now, it wasn't a clear and obvious error. So that's where they're taking too long over deciding these things, especially when the follow- then on Sunday there was two. You know, Andy Robinson spoke about it today. There was Marcus Rashford and Adama Traore had similar incidents where they didn't win a penalty. And then going on to the, uh, the Mohamed Salah offside, I mean, even looking at the lines that they've drawn, they don't seem to be correct anyway. It just looks as though he's, it looks like he's onside. The funny thing actually about all of this is that at the ground, in the ground when I was watching it, both the Liverpool goals, I instantly thought that's offside. And for the penalty incidents, I thought that's probably going to be a penalty. And it ended up being. But then is that because we're just so used to now thinking, oh, well, there's some slight controversy over this. It's bound to go in favour or against, you know, the team that you're reporting on the team or the team you're supporting or just the way that the game's been going. It's hard to say. I mean, I, I put a tweet out the other day about the thing that VAR's done or the implementation of VAR, I should say, in England. It's made people just watch the game in a different way. And it's you have to watch it dispassionately. Because you know if the goal goes in, you think, well, it might not be a goal, so I better not celebrate that. Or if there's an offside decision, you know, you think that your team's in favour and the, you know, they play and they put the flag up, the ball goes in, you're thinking, well, this actually might actually be off, not offside. We've just conceded a goal here. So it's, it just means that people are watching the game in a completely different way and they're not able to enjoy it because they can't get involved in it because it's all looking at computer screens and you know television screens and lines on and all that kind of stuff. So it's taken a minute, two minutes to to sort stuff out. And is that really what football's about? The interesting thing for me is that having no fans in there has somehow enabled um, VAR to, for want of a better word, to prosper. Because can you imagine if some of those decisions had happened, uh, say United were playing, Manchester United were playing at home at Old Trafford, some of those decisions happened in a game against Manchester City or Arsenal or Chelsea or, or Liverpool or something like that. I reckon that some of these the VAR officials and the uh, and the referees might think twice simply because of the reaction of the crowd because there's no crowd to react against. They're just not so much doing whatever they want, but they are being allowed to take their time over these decisions and get involved and do this, that and the other. And, uh, and again, that's because there's nobody there. And the people watching at home, not only are they not there and they're not involved in it in that way, they're not, they're not able to get involved in in actually celebrating stuff because they don't know what's actually going on because they, they don't know till two or three minutes later. I mean, the best way to watch football now is don't watch the game. Just see what the result was at the end. Yeah, and then see which VAR incidents there is to talk about, I suppose. Joe, on, on it all, it might be too sort of philosophical in thinking, as Doyle said there, football's all about emotion. It's, I suppose, football at its best is, is art and VAR's being scientific about it. We've got the lines on the pitch. We've got everything sort of to, to millimetres. It doesn't feel, I know a lot of the Liverpool players have been saying, it, it just doesn't feel like football now and we're losing love for it. And that's exactly it, I think. 
it's 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 exactly what Doyle's just said that you can't watch the game in the same way. You know, you're watching the game. You know, obviously the the way we work, I watch the game with Twitter open, and you watch a goal go in. And before you you enjoy or celebrate the goal, you, you you're looking through Twitter to see is this is this gone to VAR? And then once it's gone to VAR, then you you wait again, and it's just sucking the life out of it. And I have to admit, on top that, on top of fat, no fans, it's just it's ruining the spectacle. And um, you know what? I, there's a lot lot been said about VAR. I kind of hate talking about it, but you can't really help yourself this weekend because it, it's it's. It just all, the whole Liverpool game was all about VAR, and you know I, I kind of think we've only got ourselves to blame. You know, even now, you know the the abuse towards referees and the, the the complaints towards referees. You know, it was it was fans, players, pundits, managers that demanded perfection, and you know they demanded consistency, which you're just never going to get because you you're always going to have human beings making subjective decisions. Look, look at the Liverpool penalty. You know, I, I think. I think it was a penalty. I think he kicked his foot. You know whether whether he goes down easily is, a, is another argument. But you know, I think once you once you kick someone's foot like that, then you you can give away a penalty. And I thought it was. But I know lots of people who think no, there wasn't enough contact. It shouldn't have been a penalty. But I think what they did is it just got involved when the referee had seen it. He'd made the decision, and then he goes back and looks at it and watches it again and again. Watches it in slow motion, which again takes away from. Should he be allowed to watch it in slow motion? Is that right? It takes know. away the reality, doesn't it? I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and it makes him doubt himself. And you know, I saw a lot of people say as soon as he goes to the screen, he's he's always going to give a penalty because it's going to place doubt in his mind. He's going to see that the contact. He's going to give a penalty. So just it's too invasive into the game. Um, just ruining it. It's ruining the spectacle. And as, as for the offside, you know, I, I read something yesterday in terms of the lines on the pitch that we see. Apparently, they are very, very accurate, far more accurate than perhaps the, the picture that we get quite briefly when we're watching the match. But, you know, there's still doubts there, isn't there? Because I, I wonder, well, how do they measure when the ball leaves the foot of the person who passes it? You know, can they get that absolutely spot on and when they're boiling things down to the, the millimetres that they're that Mohamed Salah was offside for, or Sadio Mane for the Everton goal. You know how how can they be one hundred percent sure? And we used to we used to talk about the being you know benefit of the doubt for the attacker, but now it's like an advantage for the defender because you know people are getting to look at it in such a a way that you know some of the technology is doing some of the defending for them. So I just find it totally totally off putting, and I do think they should just get rid. You know I, I don't think they will because. Then they'll have to find a way of making it work, but it's just sucked the life out of it. But I think if they do get rid of, they do change it. People need to calm down. They need to stop demanding consistency. I've had people onto me this week saying that the referees are corrupt and all this, all that's nonsense. It's just you know the game is the way it is. People see it differently, and referees have the hardest job of all. I think Matt will tell you. I think you've been one, haven't you, Matt? And, and I, how can anyone do that job perfectly? It's it's nigh on impossible. So I just think people, managers, players, um, lead the way on this. Need to be more respectful and accept decisions. Otherwise, this is what happens. We've seen the other side, and it's off. Yeah, the the offsides. I don't really have too much of an issue with them. It's more the subjective ones, isn't it? Because you know we've seen you know plenty of examples this weekend of a similar tackle to the Andy Robertson one not being given as a penalty, and that was the the kind of word, wasn't it, that we always used to hear before VAR, even now with VAR, is consistency. All you want to see is you know the the same 
laws being applied in the same way across a variety of matches. And that is the difficulty, isn't it? As you say, I've been a referee. I referee matches as much as I can now. And it does come back to what you say about we only have ourselves to blame because, you know, if you're a, a young lad who's maybe played a bit of football growing up, wants to get into refereeing, well, we've sort of got ourselves into a situation where fans have normalised the referee being abused. If you're a, I say, a 15, 16-year-old lad who wants to earn a bit of money, well, you're not probably going to go and, and be a referee because you look at the Premier League, you look at the examples of, of everywhere. We've normalised the situation now where, whether it's parents at, at children's football, whether it's you know fans, pundits, whoever it is, it's always the referee's fault. And it, it's just not conducive of an environment, really, of where you would necessarily want to, to go and, and put yourself into that situation. So, yeah, all that means is that fewer referees are getting into it. The pool to pick from is smaller. We saw with the, the referee at the weekend, Stuart Atwell is a, a prime example. He was somebody who I think was pushed up to being a Premier League referee well before he should have been because there was a, a lack of referees at the top level. And that is where it comes from. If we don't have enough referees, the quality then goes down. And, and that is where VAR has come from. So it's a difficult situation. Again, as you say, VAR is here now. It's probably not going to go anywhere. I think there are improvements that can be made to it. But, you know, I think the bottom line is whether we have VAR or whether we don't have VAR, there's always going to be controversy. There's always going to be, you know, certain fans of certain teams thinking that it's gone against them, gone for them, whatever it might be. That chat is always going to be there. Can I I just point out that not, not all of us were for VAR. I'd like to point out that I was very much against it because I kind of saw some of the issues that, that have been, you know, come to pass now. Because as I said before, for the obvious decisions, it, it's fine because they're checked within about a second or whatever. I think it's the, it's the way that it's, it, it's implemented is all wrong. And at the risk of me doing my uh, my weekly rugby league reference, uh, I will point you towards that there was a there was a, a big final happened on Friday in which uh, the town where I, I'm when from, St. Anne's, they won. Yep, yep, they won in the last second. And when they then all the tries get get reviewed, but it's quick, you know, rugby league. When somebody kicks the ball, you have got to be level with them if you're on their team, and then you can go through. Otherwise, you're offside. And they showed the replay, and it was totally borderline. But what they didn't do, they didn't draw any lines. They just they based it on the opinion of what the referee had said at the time, and then they said, "Can you prove that it wasn't using your naked eye?" And they were like, "Well, we can't." So they just they just let it go. And I think that's the problem. As Matt said, I don't think VAR is going to go anywhere now. It's going to be here. It's how you implement it properly. And it seems weird that in the Premier League, they seem absolutely hopeless at it. Yet in the Champions League, which is at it for longer, there haven't been anywhere near as many issues. And whether that's because you don't play as many games in the Champions League, that might have something to do with it. But it seems to me as though they're able to to, to, to do it better than, you know, better than, they can in the Premier League, where England are just—I wouldn't say they're making up their own rules, but they are—they are doing things a certain way that's taking too long, like the offside, the drawing of the lines, all this, that, and the other. The referees—you know—they they didn't look at the pitch side monitors at all last season. Then they were suddenly looking at it every game. It's like, well, make your mind up. Which one is it? And Andrew Robinson said before, this has been 18 months to two years now we've had it, so it's not like it's an overnight problem. So, and as I said before, I do think that the fact that there's no fans in there has allowed it to go a certain way where it's become a lot more FIFA-esque, shall we say, in terms of FIFA, the football game, where everybody wants everything to be absolutely accurate. And if that's the case, if you've seen like the FIFA glitches where players run around with massive legs and stuff like that, are we going to get that now? You know, players falling over each other, taking a penalty and walking through goalposts. 
no, of course we're not going to do it because that's a computer game. It's not real. It's not real life. Whereas, you know, real life is making mistakes. You know, referees can make mistakes. It is allowed. That's part of the game. And you prefer it to be a human mistake made at the moment rather than another human making another mistake using the technology that you find it hard to justify in your mind. That's why people are getting frustrated with it. It's like, well, well does it then have to go to somebody else? Or do you just, it's not going to go back to the way that it was. But there has to be some kind of happy medium. I'll get off the soapbox now. Yeah. Quick, just quickly again, even even the, the phrase clear and obvious, I think, is makes life difficult because what's clear and obvious to one person is not clear and obvious to another. And I, I, think, sure... I think the, the, the offsides that are like clearly offside, like the yeah, Manny no, Mane and Salah one is a great example. Manny is offside. He's checked it within two seconds. Yeah, it's but... not a goal. Great. Brilliant. It doesn't apply to offside. I was going to anyway, say, clear and obvious isn't applied to offside. They're factual decisions. No, that's the line. Yeah, but, that yeah. is a factual. Well, there's two, okay, there's two, well, the... two sort of categories. The factual decisions, i.e., if a penalty is given, is it inside the box? Has the ball crossed the line? Is the player onside? And the subjective calls, which is where clear and obvious comes in. And it's, I mean, well, we're even discussing it. It's an absolute well, the, 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 fact, the, fact that, the fact that offside is, is well, we're referring to offside as being a subjective call. There you go. That's it. We've, that's summed up VAR. What's wrong with it? Completely. If you can't, if you've got to get your lines out and they're all overlapping and this, that, and the other, just go with what they said on the pitch, whether they said onside or offside. No one can complain. There will be so. Before all of this, and you saw replays on television, you'd go, oh, that's a close one. But no, nobody would go either way. Go, that's absolutely definitely offside. Or that's definitely onside. You'd go, well, you know, you can see why he's given that. You know, you don't get that anymore. No, you don't. It's that, that seek for perfection that's led to something that's far from perfect and consistency where actually you're doubling down on the opportunity for inconsistency. Final word on VAR. Joe, you were halfway through making a point. I'll let you finish that one. It was only it was only about clear and obvious. I think we've kind of covered it. I, I just think that what's what's clear and obvious to one man isn't clear and obvious to another. And, you know, I think even at the weekend, that penalty that, that Liverpool um, conceded, is, you look at that and I, and I think... A lot of people might say that was clear and obvious. Others might say, no, it wasn't. They should have just carried on. But a lot of people would, would see it and say, well, there was clear contact, because there was, and say that that is, that is a clear and obvious decision. So I, I think even that, they've created a rub for their own back by using that phrase, the Premier League or the FA. And, and because now people people use it as a stick to beat them with or as a, as a way of saying, well, why did you give that penalty? It, it wasn't clear and obvious. But who knows what clear and obvious really is? And, you know, and, in the grand scheme of things. And that's why I think, do you know what? I, I'd accept it. I, I don't like the, the VAR for, for offsides. I think, again, it's very, very close, too close to call. I still look back at the Mane, one against Everton, and I still can't see an offside. And I still quite can't understand how anyone could look at that and go, yeah, he's offside. You know, the, there must be a little bit of doubt in their minds and they, they must just have to make a judgment call. So, you know, I, I, I don't really like it, but, I just think they should get rid of all the penalty stuff now because they're just, it's just causing chaos. You know, if they're going to continue with the offsides, fine, but the penalty stuff is just, it's just nonsense. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Let's move on from VAR then. And Dolly, I'll come back to you on if Jurgen Klopp didn't really have any argument about the implementation and VAR because he seemed to sort of take it on the chin. One thing he wasn't happy about after the game, certainly when he was asked about it, was the fixture scheduling, five substitutes. And he's uh, got Chris Wilder at the moment in his sights, in his aim. And uh, not very much, not, not like Jurgen Klopp. He doesn't normally get involved in these things, but he's not letting this one go. Well, the funny thing about Jurgen Klopp and Chris Wilder is before Liverpool played Sheffield United, he was in the matchday programme saying how great Chris Wilder is. So it's not like he thinks 
Chris Wilder, he does he doesn't like him or something. He just feels as though I mean the thing is he's the Liverpool manager, isn't he? Jurgen Klopp. He's the Liverpool manager, and whoever the Liverpool manager would be, if he comes out and says something, there's automatically gonna be millions of people just going directly against what he's saying. That's just the way that it is. Same as if a United manager says it or Arsenal or whoever it is. But um yeah, I think with Wilder, he's kind of he's kind of like a, you know, he's he's very stubborn, isn't he? They're both stubborn, let's be honest. Uh, they're both stubborn. They both believe what they're saying is right. But I think possibly Chris Wilder might be coming around to the fact that, you know, perhaps I do need to make some subs because whatever he's doing at Sheffield United is not working. What is it? One point from nine games or 10 games or whatever it is. So he probably needs to start changing things around. And when some of his players start falling over and getting injured, then he'll be going, oh, well, we could do, do with more substitutions. But it seems a bit strange that the Premier League is now the only league. The Championship does it. Scotland does it. You know, of the uh, League One and League Two do it. Internationals do it. Champ- the Champions League will do it on Tuesday night. Liverpool are in. Italy, France, Germany, whoever. You know, I bet you on, on the game FIFA. I bet they have five subs on that as well, actually. Um, but, but the point being is that I just don't forget the club thing. I just don't understand why they haven't done it. At the start, I understood because I, I agreed that it seemed a bit unfair on the smaller clubs who don't have the bigger squads. But the reality is that they're all getting injured injuries and a lot of the, the, the uh, lot of the bigger clubs don't, they, they seem to be getting affected more because they're playing more games. So it's kind of even itself out in, in that regard. But I think there's a Premier League vote, certainly Premier League vote on some meeting happening on Thursday. I'd be amazed if it's not brought up then because as Jurgen Klopp said the other week, there was a manager's meeting, 15 managers said yes, five have said no. And if they, if they ask again, I would imagine the five substitutes rule will be implemented. And then what Wilder will be complaining about that. Yeah, Matt, just on the sort of wider, that post-match interview Jurgen Klopp gave to BT Sport, in which, of course, that was brought up. What did you make of it? Yeah, it's a, an interesting one, isn't it? I think, you know, Jurgen Klopp, I tend to decide with him. I do think there is a big issue here with the fixtures and, and this sort of thing. And I do think there is a, a fairly easy sort of way to, to resolve that, given now that every single match is, is televised, every single game is on TV. It shouldn't be that difficult for different parties to, to all come to an agreement come together and decide that actually it's probably not best for Liverpool or whoever it might be. Manchester United have had you know, similar things. I think they played Saturday lunchtime, having played away in Paris Saint-Germain the, the Wednesday before a couple of weeks ago. Things like that, that there's no real excuse for that to be the case now because you know we've seen pay-per-view has, has not come to fruition, which is a good thing. That means that every game is, is on TV in the UK, that the fixture scheduling is based around those sorts of things. There's no real reason for, therefore, you know, BT Sport to potentially move their slot to a, a later time. Maybe it's, you know, put it onto the Sunday. Just have these sorts of discussions because it's very similar to the five subs thing in that every other league seems to be able to do it. In France, they have Friday night matches for, for PSG to give them an extra day to prepare for their Champions League matches, things like that. I think in Spain, it's a, a similar sort of agreement. Why is the Premier League so bad at doing something that seemingly every other league can do? And it just puts all of our European teams at a disadvantage. It should be a thing that we celebrate. It should be a thing that if you get into Europe, it, it shouldn't be a disadvantage. It should be something that you know, you've worked hard the previous season to get yourself in that position. You should therefore you know, be able to at least play with a, a level playing field. And 
yeah, it, it comes back to, to player welfare. It comes back to, to tribalism to an extent. I think, obviously, everyone will look at, at that Jurgen Klopp interview and say, well, he's got Liverpool in the, the front of his mind and nobody else. He's doing it from a selfish perspective. But I'm not sure I, I buy that. I think, you know, as much as he will say that he's thinking about everyone and, and no one b- will believe him, I think, you know, that there is uh, a good case to put forward that, that that is genuinely the case. Yeah, it does sort of seem like that. Joe, just on sort of all of this and the fixtures getting sort of moved around and everything, is the case here with Matt saying they're sort of Premier League not being logical in their thinking that really they've thought after Project Restart, oh, we start a new season, it's brand new effectively we've got a project restart full season don't we where these games are so crammed in it's not it's not the conventional season so why haven't we kept those rules that were just in place before but well absolutely yeah and i think that's that's what klopp's been saying and that's what you know he says to each interviewer he says you know this isn't i'm not saying this in general i'm saying this is a, a crazy season and you know the contracts that we all agreed on when contracts that we agreed on for for a covid season and I do think he's got a point. Is is there an element of selfishness in there? Probably. But, the, you know, Chris Wilder's is strange for Chris Wilder to, to label Klopp selfish when he's only just being selfish about his own squad. You know, that managers are selfish, aren't they? But I do think, I do find it quite bizarre the way people um, just sort of dismiss the, the health of players as if it doesn't matter. They earn money, so who cares about, you know, Joe Gomez, you, you, you've done the knee, you'll be out for the next you know, however many months, but don't worry about it, you get paid loads of money. I think we should look at that, you know, I think people on one hand want to watch good football, but on the other hand, they don't care about the welfare of the players. I do think we should care, and I do think we should, they should be at the forefront of, of our minds when, you know, fixtures and, and, and stuff are being discussed, but it doesn't really seem to be an issue. I don't think it's going to change. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, I, I, you, know you keep hearing people say, why isn't Klopp saying this to his to his bosses at Liverpool. I'm 100% sure that Klopp will be going to his bosses at Liverpool. You know, if there's something you can do about this, then do something about it. Whether they do is another thing entirely, but um, Klopp doesn't strike me as the type of person who would be too afraid to tell anyone at Liverpool that, um, you know, he, he wants things changed. So that's nonsense. Obviously, Klopp is upset. Obviously, he's frustrated. But if you don't want to hear him rant about it, don't ask him about it in an interview. It's quite simple, isn't it? You know, most of them ask him the question and get offended about the answer. But we know how he feels. So, um, you know, he's not going to change his mind anytime soon, especially when Liverpool keep getting scheduled for for early kickoffs. Yeah, and if he's not said it directly to his bosses, he certainly said it via press conferences. And as you say, post-match interviews, they will know exactly how he feels. Um, He he will have said it directly, though. You know, I think that if he's not, he will will have said it directly. And it's, it's... of course he will, of course. No, definitely. Right, let's get on to the Ajax game. And today's press conference, Doily, seemed to be just one massive sort of injury update by your question, asking about the, the two young lads and how they're developing. But Jurgen Klopp actually going perhaps into a bit more detail than he has previously about Thiago Alcantara and not looking good. No, I mean, there's been this conspiracy theory, hasn't it, that he's actually died. Um, but you know, thankfully, he's Jurgen Klopp's denied that. Well, he may as well have been. You know, they were basically saying he's like he's going to have to retire or something like that. I mean, I don't think some people, certainly on social media, uh, can't get around the fact that when a player gets injured, it's sometimes you don't make an immediate diagnosis. Liverpool at the time they'd had another injury on the day. I mean, Jurgen Klopp said this. They had another injury on the day. Um, Virgil Van Dijk, serious injury. So then when they had the scan for. Um, 
for Tiago, it wasn't as bad, so they were relieved. They didn't need any surgery. You know, there was no torn ligaments. However, anybody who's seen the incident will know that he got hit pretty hard by Richarlison. And when you get hit that hard, certainly on like a, a joint, which is quite a complicated part of the body, then it's going to take a little while to get over. And while he was, he started a little bit of training a couple of weeks afterwards, he's obviously, it's, it doesn't feel right. It's not right. It's one where Liverpool are just, they're not going to rush him. They're just going to have to take the time. It's going to have to settle. Then he's going to have to get back his fitness. So, you know, Klopp said it would be a few weeks before we see him again. And I also think that, you know, we've, we've since learned that it's probably going to be January before he, before he comes back. Uh, in terms of the other injuries, um, Naby Keita, there's an outside chance he could be back for the game against Ajax on Tuesday. Uh, and at Trent Alexander-Arnold, he now he's not back in team training yet, but Klopp said that he's seen him, presumably he's seen him in the gym, and he said he's pretty close to, to return to that, but he won't be playing. And uh, Jason Shaqiri's out, and James Milner's out, along with uh, Virgil van Dijk and uh, Joe Gomez and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. I think the thing that people are struggling with, Doyle, is on FIFA when a player gets injured, you're told it's three, four weeks. They're back in three, four weeks. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not having a go, I'm not having a go playing FIFA because I'm just, you know, I want to get some money off when I go and buy it. <laughs> Look, hoping for the uh, PlayStation 5 for, for, for Christmas, maybe. Joe, uh, on Thiago, it is sort of desperately disappointing. And it's in that position, really, midfield, that Liverpool, not only centre-half, but also now midfielders, beginning to sort of not be able to lose anybody else. Running short on numbers there. Yeah, I mean, poor Genie Wan Arden um, isn't allowed the rest, is it? I mean, he, he just plays plays all the time. And you know, I was thinking about a midfield for um, tomorrow night's game, and it's looking like he's going to have to play again, isn't it? And I'm pretty sure Klopp would like to give him a rest. Uh, but with the way things are, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's pretty desperate. I just think, look, now Liverpool have got one month. They've got one month of football to get through. It's going to be a pretty crucial month. You know, they'll, they'll have to try and qualify from their Champions League group, which I'm, I'm pretty sure they will do, um, and then stay in touch at the top. And, and I think if Liverpool can stay in touch, um, when I say stay in touch, three, four points, you know, if they can stay that close to the top between, you know, between now and, and, and January, you know, I think they can start getting players back. And they'll be in a very, very good position. And I almost think that people will sleep on Liverpool a little bit because I don't think we're going to see many great performances it will be a, a test of their character but if they can get through um you know i think people might forget how good a team they are when they've got some of their best, better players back and with a player like tiago who we know he's got great quality um you know in the in the couple of games or the game and a half that we've seen him play you know he looks like he he's going to make a massive impact liverpool could step it up a gear once these players start coming back so you know, I think Liverpool have got plenty to be positive about. You know, it's it's a it's a really difficult spell, but they're the sort of squad that I think can get through it. So I think now knuckle down, get through this month, and um, you know if they can stay in touch, I still think they'll be massive favourites to win that title. Um, you know, um, if they get through to January, um, in a decent position. Yeah, and you do feel Matt with Jurgen Klopp. Uh sort of campaigning for obviously wanting more substitutes and the, the the amount of games that Liverpool got to play. He sort of underlined the point in the press conference today when he said, so long as we can keep putting 11 players out on the pitch every time we cross the line, we will fight. And that's sort of the mentality Liverpool are in right now. Yeah, it is. It's that sort of siege mentality that I think they've just got to, to go with for the next few matches and, and just try and get through it. As Joe says, if they can do that, get one or two players back, suddenly it's a, a very different looking Liverpool team. I think 
obviously, you know, the, the five subs thing has made it difficult, but even, you know, in midfield, however many subs you've got, you've only got so many midfielders. I didn't think Takumi Minamino had the, the best game, but he was sort of in that position for the first time, purely out of need uh, for that to, to be the case because there just wasn't too many other options. So, yeah, the the fact that James Milner is now out, it's just another one to, to add to that list, isn't it? And, you know, again, Gini Wijnaldum, maybe Fabinho could could push back into to his usual role, but then there's not exactly loads and loads of options at, at centre-back. So, yeah, it's it's just something that Liverpool have got to deal with. I do keep saying it, and I, I do still believe that at some point during the season, it'll be the other way around. It won't be Liverpool are the ones, you know, with loads of injuries and, and the other teams seemingly are not doing too badly. I think they'll come at a period of the season, probably over Christmas, maybe into to January or February, where maybe one of the other, you know, couple of, of teams around Liverpool in the, the Premier League table will find themselves in a pretty similar situation. You wonder, for example, if Harry Kane was to get injured for Tottenham, would they still be at the top of the table? If, you know, a couple of crucial players for, for Chelsea in one or two areas were to get injured, you know, would they drop off pretty quickly? I think, you know, Liverpool are a better set up as a squad to be able to to deal with these setbacks. And, you know, long term, I think they will be able to pull through it. They'll be able to get through and, and go, go and, and improve in, in the second half of the season. And yeah, I, I just think at the moment, it's a difficult time for Liverpool, but you know, other teams are, are going to find that just because of the nature and the wild sort of schedule that, you know, all teams, not just Liverpool, are going to have to continue to be put through. Yeah, we're going to get to our teams very shortly. So if you're joining us live, do uh, let us know your predicted 11s for the game. We'll get to those shortly. And I won't forget to do our match predictions. I forgot the last two episodes, but make sure that we, we don't this time around. Doily, before that, though, what are you expecting from Ajax on, on Tuesday at Anfield? Liverpool, of course, needing that win to secure qualification to the knockout stage. But Liverpool only actually need a draw to get through, to be honest, Us- using a, my A-level maths. I worked that out. Uh, last week, um, Ajax. I, I think it'll be the same with Atlanta in the sense that I know they got beat at home by Liverpool, but they'll know. Hang on, we're playing against a Liverpool team here that's got a few players missing. They don't need to win. We perhaps do. I'm not sure Ajax need to win either. I think it's still going to go down probably to their last game against Atlanta. So for them, in a, in a slight way, it's a bit of a free hit. So there's not a lot of pressure on them to, to to come over and do something. So I think they'll be extremely dangerous. They created a lot, enough chances in the first game. I mean, you look back now and you think that Liverpool win there was very scrappy and that's the start of what we feared would be a, a bit of a, a spell of, of the kind of uh, kind of performances that, that Joe's mentioned where they got, they're not going to be particularly brilliant, just have to get through it. And that's proved massively important, setting them up for the rest of this group now. I mean, they could afford to lose uh, on Tuesday and as long as they win in Denmark, they're still getting through. So they've got, they've had, they have three chances to get through. I'm pretty sure Klopp wouldn't like it to go to that, that last game. Even if it is just the winter win to, to see the top four, that will allow him to rest a few players in Denmark. But uh, yeah, I'd expect Ajax to come attack, not show any fear. There's nothing for them to to fear. They they can, they they you know in the same way that Liverpool have that they know that they've got another chance after this. So it will make it interesting. But for Liverpool, I think the pressure slightly more on them because of the way things have gone over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, OK, let's get into our teams then. Alisson in goal. Joe, throw over to you for the defence. Who's going to be uh, pat- sort of patched up and put out there on Tuesday night? I think Reese Williams will definitely play at centre-half. Um, obviously, Nat Phillips played at the weekend, so I think those two have been rotating in terms of league and, and European games. Considering Nat Phillips is 
is quite eligible uh, for the um, Champions League game. So I think Reese Williams will certainly play. Nico Williams obviously brought off at half time against Brighton. But I don't really think Liverpool have much choice but to say to him, go again. Um, so Nico Williams, um, Joel Matip, um, if fit. Um, he wasn't on the bench, but we believe he was just rested, so he should come back in. And then, ideally, you'd probably want to give Robertson a rest again, like like, like I said about Wijnaldum before. Doesn't get many rests, but I don't think you can put another player that's fairly fresh into that defence, so I think well, I'll stick with Robertson at the back. Matt, what do you make of that? Yeah, I'd, I'd go along with that. I think Nico Williams is the only real option for Liverpool at right-back. I think Reese Williams has to play. I think Joel Matip will play, given that he didn't at the weekend. And it was interesting that Andy Robertson was on media duties earlier today. That would suggest that, that he is in line to play as well. So, yeah, I think uh, Andy Robertson would be the one. It would ideally be one that you would probably have looked at a couple of weeks ago and put Kostas Simakas in, but... Given the disruption across the rest of the back line, I don't think Jurgen Klopp has got too much choice. Midfield doily. How about the defence? Well, yeah, 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 okay, okay. If you've got any objections, then <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got total objections. All I don't right. think that's defence. All right, yeah. Um, <laughs> one, one thing I would say from from having covered the Liverpool for a long time is when a player used to get put up for a European game on a Benitez, he invariably didn't play. So it used to be like a bit of a running joke that they always put somebody who had no chance of playing. Normally Ryan Babble, for some reason. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> going back to uh, the defence, I think, well, Nico Williams has to play right back. I, f- I feel as though he has to he has to play through what's happening at the moment. You know, it's, it's a tough ask for him. It's bad enough coming into the first team, that, you know, as a youngster. I know he's played one or two games, but it's different now because it, it does a lot on these games as opposed to just games towards the end of last season. But in a defence that keeps on changing, a defence that's not settled, for that reason, Robertson's got to play left-back. Uh, and I, I think it'll be Matip and Fabinho at centre-back. I think they'll have to go strong and see how it goes because, as everyone knows, there's these five subs that are allowed in Europe. So if Liverpool find themselves in a good position with half an hour to go, you could easily take one of them off. And I'll go into the midfield now if you want. Uh, and in midfield, Henderson, Wayne, Alderman, and Jones. Did you say Robertson at left-back, by the way? You went on yes. about Williams and your centre-halves and then, right, OK. And who yeah. was your midfield? It's, it's still Wijnaldum, Henderson and Jones. Right, OK. Joe, what, it's Wijnaldum, Henderson and Jones, OK. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fine. Uh, Joe, what do, you, what do you make of that midfield? I'd go for Wijnaldum, Henderson, Jones. <laughs> Same with him, yeah. I don't really think he's got much choice. I think you know, Anderson has to play. Uh, Curtis Jones rested, so he'll come back in. And um, poor Genie, just strap him up, push him out there, and get playing again. Um, get get as much out of Genie now before his contract expires next summer. Yeah, finish him by the time he Just juice yeah. him completely. Yeah, Matt. What, what about the the forward line for yourself? If you're, are you staying four three three, or are you going to go four two three one? Yeah, no, four-three-three. Same midfield. Uh, I think you would bring Sadio Mane back in on the left. I would go for Firmino and Mohamed Salah. Doily, forward three. Wan Henderson, and Jones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think for the uh, forward, I'd go along with that. I think it'll be the main three. I think you're looking at uh, Jota start a few games recently. So I think he's somebody. As long as Liverpool have got somebody who can come off the bench and change the game, and Jota can do that. And I think because Mane didn't start the last game, 
Firmino had a rest the other week. He's, and, you know, as I say, with the five subs, they can change things around. There's still Minamino who might actually be played in a position where he's actually, you know, he's used to playing. I thought it was a bit, I wouldn't say harsh on him on a, on Saturday because he got, he got he actually got involved quite a lot, but he wasn't able to affect it as much. But the interesting thing for me is he managed to last the 90 minutes. It's very rare that he's played 90 minutes for Liverpool. So that will have benefited him. But, yeah, Salah, Firmino and Mane up front. And Joe, you happy with that forward line as well? Firmino was denied. We've not even spoken about it. What would have been an, a sublime assist for, for Salah at the weekend? Yeah, sort of underlines what he can do and what we know he can do. Yeah, I think, it, I think that is the front three for me. I mean, it feels strange, doesn't it? You know, taking Jota out and sort of going to what is, in my mind, the strongest front three. But as Doyle said, you feel like Jota can come off the bench and do something. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of think... If Liverpool can win this game, it'll be massive. It takes the pressure off in other games. It means that he can make those decisions that we've just talked about, switching players around, getting Chimikas some game time. So, yeah, you know, I'd like to see them get the job done, and those three seem to be the best best option. Right, let's whip the other thing as well is that it's, it's a long time until the game against Wolves. So while there are players who won't be playing because they've featured against, against Brighton, you look at Phillips, he's not Milner's obviously injured. We've spoken about Jota, Minamino. There's four you aren't going to play. So I think there are there's enough scope to play about as strong, strong as we've basically almost all of us have named as strong a team as, as Liverpool can possibly select for a game that technically they don't even have to win. But, you know, as we say, if they win win this or get at least the draw, the through, then they can rest players next week. And what's the score going to be then, Doily? Two all. Joe? Yeah, I think I fancy a draw. I think... I don't think it's going to be two all because every game seems to be pretty drab at the moment. One one. And Matt. Yeah, one 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 for me as well. I think uh, <laughs> Ajax will uh, come along and not not make it a board draw, but I think they will. They will give Liverpool a, a fair few problems, particularly you know with that defence that that we've picked there. Yeah, well, for some optimism, I'm going to say a 2-1 win for Liverpool. So uh, we'll have to wait and see how it does play out. Don't forget to. Uh, Join the guys across on the Liverpool Echo website for the live blog during the course of the game. Here on the Blood Red channel, we'll have the debrief after the game, the post-game podcast, as well as Jurgen Klopp's full post-match press conference all to come. That's it from us here for this edition of the Blood Red podcast. Don't forget that midfield. Henderson, Vinealdum, and Jones. Thank you. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.